This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 50. On today's episode, we are going to talk with New York Times bestselling author Michael Hyatt about being free to focus and how to win at home and at work. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. This episode is brought to you and made possible by the world's very best tool for managing your time and getting your life in order, the Living Well Planner. Created by yours truly, the Living Well Planner is designed to help you organize your time, manage your budget, plan your meals and your to-do list, and crush your goals all in one place. It literally is the tool that keeps me sane every day, and it can absolutely do the same for you. You can find it online at livingwellplanner.com. And be sure to use our promo code DOITSCARED to save $10 on your order in our special offer just for podcast listeners. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I am the founder of Living Well Spending Less and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of five, soon to be six books. In today's episode, which I am so excited about, we are going to be talking to author, entrepreneur, speaker, and podcaster Michael Hyatt about what it means to get free to focus, how to win at home and at work, and exactly why that is so important. Michael is the New York Times bestselling author of four books, including Living Forward, Your Best Year Ever, and most recently, Free to Focus, as well as the host of the Lead to Win podcast. Michael is incredibly passionate about developing leaders and helping those leaders succeed in all aspects of their life, not just at work. And you guys, he has so much insight to share, not just on leadership and business, but on what it means to be productive and even why we need to rethink how we look at productivity and getting things done. And ultimately, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about taking the steps that will help us make necessary changes so that we can create a life we love. Because in the end, courage doesn't mean that we are never afraid. Instead, courage is being scared but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even when we're not quite sure where the path is going to lead. Okay, guys, so just a couple more quick things, as always, before we dive into today's episode. First, you can download our Do It Scared Manifesto to remind yourself to start living your own life of courage right now. You can get it by texting Do It Scared to 44222, or you can get all the show notes for this episode by visiting doitscared.com slash episode 50. Once again, either text Do It Scared, all one word, to 44222, or get the show notes at doitscared.com slash episode 50. And now, without further ado, I am so excited to introduce you to best-selling author and productivity expert, Michael Hyatt. Hey, Michael. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show. It is great to have you here today. Thank you, Ruth. Great to be with you. I love the title of your podcast. I mean, it's so awesome. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's actually been one of our company's core values since the very beginning. It's been like my own personal mantra before that. And so, and then it's just something that our community really, really embraced as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Okay, so I am so excited to talk to you about so many things. I feel like, first of all, I'm such a huge fangirl that I'm going to try not to geek out on this, <laughs> on this episode, but I also feel like you and I have kind of led parallel lives in a lot of ways. I don't know if you feel like that too. We just have so I many do, common, yeah. common interests and we have so many overlapping contacts and people that we know and stuff. So I just, there's like, I could go in a million different directions, but first I wanted to start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit for those of my listeners who don't know you a little bit about your personal journey, both what you, who you are, what you do now, and then kind of the brief overview of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, basically I do leadership development. So I've worked in the corporate world for about 40 years. And uh, got my start in publishing, and I worked for a small publisher uh, in Waco, Texas. And then I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where I came to work for Thomas Nelson Publishers, which uh, is, you know, depending on how you measure, about the seventh largest trade book publisher in the U.S. I did leave that post after about two years to go out and venture uh, on my own to start my own publishing company. That went bankrupt in 1992. Oh, wow. Which was kind of the beginning of my education. And so from there, um, I started a literary agency. Then I went back to Thomas Nelson in 1998 and became the CEO of that company in 2005. And at the time, it was a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. We were doing about a quarter of a billion dollars of revenue a year, about $40 million of profit. Very successful company. And I led that company for six years. Then we sold it to HarperCollins. And then I decided to venture back out on my own. And that was 2011. And I've got Michael Hyatt and Company, which uh, does leadership development. We have coaching programs and other signature programs, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, we have 33 full-time people right now. Wow. And um, it's just, it's a blast. I'm having the time of my life. That's amazing. So how did you, I mean, it's a, that's a big jump to go from being the CEO of a company to venturing out on your own. Like, how did that, that move start? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, you know, and, and sort of apropos to your, um, the name of your podcast, I, I did it scared because when I went through that business failure back in the early 90s, I had sort of this nagging thought, you know, about, you know, I actually I had a limiting belief around I'm not good with money. And so that began a whole journey as I became the CEO of the company. And increasingly with a public company, I had to be very conversant with our company's financial performance. And I had to do quarterly calls with our analysts and meet with investment bankers and all that stuff. So I kind of overcame that limiting belief, but I still had this little nag in the back of my head, wondering if I had what it takes to start my own company. So I said, you know, it's now or never. And I'd always wanted to be a full-time writer and speaker, or so I thought. And so I started the company and initially it was just me. I was a solopreneur. And I, that proved initially to be overwhelming. I mean, Ruth, I didn't even know how to find the FedEx box. <laughs> I had two full-time assistants at Thomas Nelson that basically did everything for me. Mm. And so to be on my own where I had to do everything, yeah, I found it overwhelming it's initially. Like culture shock, right? Oh, total culture shock. But that's improved over time. Well, now you have probably have an assistant who can find the FedEx box for you these I, days. I have an amazing assistant, <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so I love, I actually love that you made that transition and that you called that your do it scared mo mo moment. Um, how old were you? Can I ask you how old you were when you decided to make that leap? Yeah, 56. 56. Yep. So that is just like that in itself is incredible because you've built this huge thing since then. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but so many people, and I don't know about if you have this too with your audience, but I have so many women that come to me just feeling like their life is over and that they, they hear me talking about do it scared. And all of a sudden they're like, but I'm 50 years old. What am I going to do? I've been, you know, know, I've only known one thing my entire life. How can I do something different? But you did, you did. Well, so how did you, do, how did you get the courage to do that? Well, I, I'm not sure I had the courage. You know, I think <laughs> that the courage came after, you know, it, 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 it kind of initially, I just thought, you know, it's, it's now or never. It's this thing that I was very passionate about. The thing about age that's fascinating is that uh, that too can become a limiting belief, right? So I talk to young entrepreneurs who say, well, I'd, I'd love to start a business, but I'm too young and I don't have any experience. And you totally. talk to people over 50 and they say, well, I'm, I'm too old to do it now. There's, you know, there's too much at stake. And, and the truth is that regardless of where you fall in the spectrum, it can become an excuse that keeps you from jumping out. I mean, here's so the truth. True. I'm more healthy than I've ever been in my life. I'm now 63. I'm more energetic than I've ever been in my life. That, by the way, didn't happen by accident. You know, it's been carefully cultivated and I've been very focused on that very thing. But I feel like I'm in the, the truly the prime of my life and my best years are still in front of me. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that you actually talk about some of that in your new book, Free to Focus, which is coming out very soon. What's the exact date on that? April 9th. April 9th. So very, very soon. So let's talk a little bit about that because I loved, I loved your book, first of all. So thank, thank you. you thank for you for endorsing me, it. Yes. Thank you for letting me read an advanced copy. But in this book, you basically lay out your own system for boosting your productivity and leading a more productive life. And I loved it because like everything you do, it's excellent. And it Thank also you. gives a very different spin on the whole topic. And I love productivity. I have I know I have you do. all things productivity. So let's talk about that a little bit. How does the free to focus system work and what makes it different from any other advice that we've heard on this topic of being more productive? Yeah. So the, the promise of free to focus is how to accomplish more by doing less. And so I think the conventional wisdom is something I call the hustle fallacy, which says if you really want to win, if you really want to succeed, you've got to get out there and bust it. You've got to crush it. You've got to work longer. You know, Elon Musk is probably the best example of this. And he said, basically, you've got to be working 100 hours a week. He literally, I literally have a quote from him. You have to be working 100 hours a week if you want to be as successful as you can and realize your full potential. And I just want to call BS on that. That's you know, because... Insane. You know, he's, he's also the guy, you know, that, um, that's you know, out of quite I mean, the tumble. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so many tumbles in his life, including, you know, smoking pot on YouTube and being fined by, by the FTC for things that he said in social media about his company, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's just not sustainable. I think that the, that the premise of free to focus is what I would call the double win. And that is that you can win at work and succeed at life. And the key is actually embracing constraints. So, for example, um, 
I never worked more than 40 hours a week. Well, I shouldn't say never. I mean, occasionally I do like if we're in the middle of a, a launch or something, but I almost never work more than 40 hours a week. I don't start meetings before 9 a.m. In, in the morning and I quit promptly at 6 p.m. I've been married for 41 years and I, I can't wait to spend time with my wife in the evening and on the weekends. Last year, this counts weekends, but last year we took 165 days off. Wow. So, and still our business grew 62% last year. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, it just, it just proves that you don't have to do more to achieve more. And that's really the premise of the book. So there's so many questions that I want to ask about that. But the first one is, I think that I, for people listening to this right now who, who go, okay, yes, you're only working 40 hours a week, but you're now 63 years old. You've had your whole life to work like crazy. How does this relate to somebody who's maybe in their 20s and feels like I am in the hustle phase? I have to hustle. How, what, why, like, does this apply to everyone? Is it, do you get to a certain point? How does that work? Well, there's definitely going to be seasons in your life where perhaps you have to work harder and you're, you're willing to negotiate some, some trade-offs. But unfortunately, a lot of people are not aware of the trade-offs they're making. And so what are those, some of those trade-offs? Yeah. So people will compromise their health for the mm -hmm. sake of business success. You know, that's why you get people uh, looking out of shape when they hit their 40s and 50s. I mean, you can kind of keep it under control until you get to about 40. And then life starts catching up with you or they go through a, a huge relational crisis, you know, divorce or their kids won't talk to them, have no relationship with their kids, no friends, all that kind of stuff. But those are trade-offs that you're making, not because at the beginning of the process, you said, you know, in a moment of self-awareness, hey, I'm going to trade my health and I'm going to trade my marriage and I'm going to trade my relationship with my kids for business success. What happens is that you get incrementally boiled, like the proverbial frog in the kettle, you know, you trade, you do one little decision, you know, one weeknight that you're going to work, one weekend that you're going to work. But again, I come back, Ruth, to this idea of constraints. Think about the Friday before you go on vacation. How unbelievably focused you are, how productive you are, and it's because you have a constraint. Well, I try so to do that true. every day. You know, at, at 6 p.m., this is one of the things I, I talk about in the book, something called activation triggers. One of my activation triggers is that all the lights in this office are automated. And nice. at 6 p.m., they turn off. So, so have to stop. If, I, if I haven't finished, I'm standing in the dark. So that's a, <laughs> that's a great reminder that my workday is over. So sometimes those last two hours a day, man, I am rushing the clock. But that's also when I do my best work. But it, may, it forces me to make decisions. I can't get sidetracked, for example, on unproductive social media or web surfing, or chit chat, you know, I've got to stay focused on the things that matter. I love that. So can you give us some other examples of like activation triggers that you use in your life? Yeah. So here's another one. Like when I started um, running, and this was about 12 years ago, I had a really hard time with it because I got up in the morning and some days, you know, I felt like going out there and busting it. And, and that lasted for about two weeks, you know, once, once sort of the, uh, the shine wore off the new shoes and the new gym clothes and the excitement of running, then it was just tough, especially when the weather got bad. So as an activation trigger, one of the things I would do is just lay out my clothes the night before so that when I went into the bathroom, we've got this um, you know, chair that's in the bathroom and I would just lay out my clothes there with my shoes there and everything. So now I experience less friction. I mean, the clothes are there, I've already made the decision, 
what's going to keep me, you know, from, from going and working out and having to run. So that was an activation trigger. Smart. I've done that too in the past. I should probably start doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about, yeah, that did used to actually help me putting my clothes out, especially when we were living up yes. in uh, the Pacific Northwest and it was cold and I did not want to go out in the cold. I'd have my coat there. Yeah. It's, it's funny how little things like that can work. Yes. So true. I mean, another one for that, you know, I, I had a real struggle even after I started running, doing strength training on a regular basis. Now I do it three times a week, but the only reason that I would do strength training, the only reason I got started is because a friend of mine said to me, he said, why don't you just hire a personal trainer? You know, cause that sort of like get me past the friction mm-hmm. and get me past starting, you know, trying to figure it all out. And I like slapped myself on the forehead and said, yeah, why haven't I done that till now? So That's I hired a personal true. trainer and now just the thought of him at the gym waiting on me. I mean, I will, I will not disappoint him. I'm going to show up. <laughs> You and I are so similar because I am exactly <laughs> the same way. I have a trainer and I do the same thing three times a week. And he, and it's funny because he says that he does not have any clients who complain more than I do. I complain the entire time. I hate exercise so much, but he's like, but you are the only one of my clients who always shows up if you have an appointment every single time you've never missed a single one. And that's true. Like I need the accountability of some knowing somebody is waiting for their, cause them, I don't want to let them down, but Oh man, I am not going to like you know, it while I'm there. <laughs> you know, a deal I made with him too, as I said, I said, I'm going to do this for me, not for you. But if I ever miss, and I did miss a couple of times, if I ever miss, and I haven't let you know, like 72 hours in advance, I'm going to pay you for the session anyway, because mm-hmm. all he's got to sell is his time. Yep. And so now I've hacked it a little bit more because what I have now is I have a personal trainer that I only meet with via Zoom once a month, but she designs my entire program. But that frees me up at the gym, which I love to oh. be able to, um, to be able to listen to podcasts and books, uh, audio books and that kind of thing and really... Oh, and then you do it all by yourself. See, that's impressive. I like, as far as weight training would never be able to do it if I didn't have somebody there forcing me to do it the whole, the whole entire time. That's good to know about yourself though. It is good to know. Yeah. And I like, I will make no bones about it. And they, I like, I feel like I have two trainers, one on Monday and then the other guys on Wednesdays and Fridays. And I feel like they are saints because they put up with all of my, all of my whining and complaining the entire time. (laughs) Haven't fired me yet, which is amazing. That's good. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's get back on track and go talk talk to about the book. See, I'm not I'm not focusing very well right now, but right. I I really feel like something that is so inspiring to me about you is your ability to get things done, and you're such a person that really like practices what you preach. You talk about all you know all of these things that you teach. You're also doing in your own life. So what is your best tip for people who feel like they are constantly being distracted either by things like email and social media, but also things like real life stuff, kids, laundry, needing to get dinner on the table. Not everybody has, and I feel like this, I have to be careful about this too when I'm talking about productivity because people like you and I, we're entrepreneurs, we have more control over our schedule. We have the ability to say exactly what we want to do at most times. Not everybody has that luxury. So how do you overcome that and still stay stay focused? Well, I think the key is to realize you don't have to do everything. So this is one of the major differences between free to focus and a system like getting things done. So I love David Allen. He's a friend of mine. He's endorsed a couple of my books. 
But there's one thing that's missing from the getting things done methodology that's huge, and that is a filter. Mm -hmm. So every time something pops into your head, what does GTD teach? You've got to record it on a list somewhere. So it's not unusual for me to talk to our clients or, or people that follow my uh, postings on social media that will have hundreds of tasks on their task list and they feel overwhelmed. They can't seem to uh, make much progress on it daily. So they get up dreading the day and they go to bed beating themselves up because they didn't accomplish more. But the truth is not all that stuff is, is created equal. There's got to be a filter. So the filter in free to focus is something we call the freedom compass. And if you can imagine a two by two matrix where one axis has to do with your passion, it's a really simple idea, but you're either passionate about a, a, an activity or you're not passionate about it. And then the other axis is proficiency. You're either good at it or you're not good at it. So there are activities in your life that you suck at. You don't like them. You're not very good at them. And we call that the drudgery zone. And those activities need to be either eliminated automated or delegated because honestly a lot of that stuff doesn't move the needle in your life or your business and so that's never the stuff that I prioritize even if I didn't have an executive assistant or hadn't figured out how to eliminate or autom automate I wouldn't prioritize that at the opposite end of the compass so that's like due south at the opposite end of the uh, compass is where passion and proficiency intersect we call mm -hmm. that your desire zone and there's right. probably for all of us only a handful of activities that we really love and we're really good at. And so for me, I know what those are. And there's only three things that I'm good at. There's only three things that I love doing. And I spend 95% of my time there. Everything else can either be eliminated for me, automated or delegated. And if you're working in a, in a corporate context or in a, even a small business con uh, context, thankfully, your desire zone or your drudgery zone might be somebody else's desire zone. Like my assistant, Jim, loves managing my e uh, inbox. He loves managing my calendar, booking travel. All that's in my drudgery zone. Jim, that's in his desire zone. Loves it. So what are your three things? So my three things are either, I'm either developing content, I'm delivering content, or I'm creating vision for the company and, and communicating that vision to our team. I can relate to those three things. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'll bet, yours, I'll bet your list is similar. My list is very similar. In fact, it's almost exactly, exactly the same, those three things. So <laughs> switching gears just a little bit, I am curious about the role that fear has played in your life, in your business. You have, you, we alluded to that a little bit when we were talking about your journey. But I think sometimes when you look at somebody who's been so successful and just, it feels like, man, you were the CEO of this huge company. You've done all these amazing things. Now you're, you've built this amazing company that's got 33 employees. It's easy to think that someone like you would be completely fearless. So what is something that just really scares you in life, like that you have to work to overcome or something that has scared you in the past that you feel like you have overcome? And how did you, how did you move past it or continue to move past it? Well, let me just start by, by normalizing fear. So when I speak to audiences full of CEOs or business owners, one of the questions I used to ask all the time is, how many of you um, are just waiting for somebody to show up and say, you know, I'm sorry, 
we're gonna have to take your job away because you clearly don't know what you're doing and wake up in the middle of the night scared that you don't have what it takes. I mean, literally every hand in the audience goes up. I mean, these are, you know, um, uh, CEOs from major Fortune 500 companies all the way down to small business people. It's just the human condition. So true. I'll tell you one of the things that used to scare me to death was public speaking. Really? Yes. And, um, you know, as fate would have it, you know, that's a lot of what I do now, but, <laughs> but, and I, and I actually like it, but initially I was scared to death. I can remember one time, you know, Ken Davis. Mm-hmm. So, um, Ken and I were partners for a while in his, uh, score conference, which teaches which people how I to, went to, yeah, you went, I, th- yeah. I thought you did. Yep. Yeah. I was there. Amazing conference. But I remember the first time Ken said, um, I want you to speak to our speech coaches. Okay, so this was 30 people who are extremely accomplished speakers and critique speakers for a living. Yes. I was so freaked out. I was in, de- I was in uh, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains for this conference, uh, Beaver Creek. And I called Gail and I said, I- I'm just beside myself. I literally have not slept all night. And I am just like, I'm having a panic attack. And she said to me, she said, you got to stop doing this and go out for a run. She said, it'll totally reset you know, your thinking. And I said, I'm not going to do it. I said, I got to go over my speech one more time. She said, how many times have you gone over it? I said, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 times. She said, stop what you're doing and go for a run. And she was right. It kind of broke, you know, sort of the mindset that I was in. But the thing that helped me more than anything, Ruth, and it's still, I I have to work at it today, but when I shifted the focus from me to the audience, Mm, and I stopped worrying about what people think about me and started focusing on how can I be helpful? How are they showing up? What are their fears and challenges and concerns? And and could I help move them from where they are to some place that was more enabling? Now, all of a sudden, because the focus wasn't on me, I wasn't thinking about it. It's amazing. I, I, back when I was a uh, CEO at Thomas Nelson, when I first became a CEO, I remember going to an investor conference where I was speaking to all these financial geeks. I mean, these people have forgotten more than I would ever know about it. And I had to stand up and present. I had to wear, this is a moment of truth. <laughs> I had to wear two undershirts because I was scared that I was going to sweat through the first one and sort of give myself away because I wanted to look confident. But then my hands were so cold that I was like in the restroom before I spoke, running the hottest water I could stand. I mean, like I dialed it up to create blisters and then moved it back a few clicks and tried to warm up my hands so I didn't give myself away. But in that situation, all the focus was on me. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's amazing because that's exactly the same kind of advice that actually somebody gave me when because I have the same I have the same fear and I went to the score conference. I have a funny story for you about the score conference. Oh, I, hear I went it. to that conference and I was like that was hell for me. That was my like basically my definition of hell was going to a conference where I had to learn how to do public <laughs> speaking because I I was so terrified of it. I mean I'm not talking like a little terrified. In college speech was a required um, a required class. And I put it off my entire college career until I was finally a senior in college with a bunch of freshmen. And I don't know how much you know about my 
background or history of depression, but I um, actually like had like a mental breakdown my senior year of college and ended up um, mm. attempting suicide and, and hospitalized. And that coincided with that speech class. And I don't think that those two things are coincident. So I have a long history with hating public speaking. So I went to the SCORE conference and talk about do it scared moment for me. That was this moment. And I went and, and when you talk about being in that room full of 35 speech coaches, and that's the most intimidating crowd you could ever think of. I know exactly what you're talking about because, and you've done, you did SCORE right before you, before you even were partners with Ken. And, um, to go and you go in this, you're in this small group for those of you who are listening right now. So you go in this small group and it's like eight people in your group yep. and you have to do a talk every single night. You get, you get taught and then you have to do your own talk. And oh my gosh, it might as well be like a crowd of a thousand people. Just it shoot is me. terrifying to have like these people critiquing you and telling you, telling you, giving you feedback. So the first night I completely bombed my talk. I mean, I am not being like generous to myself of like, Oh, I'm sure it was fine. No, I completely, I completely bombed it. It was awful. I ran out of the room crying. I oh. called my husband and this is the difference between my husband and your wife apparently. Cause I called my husband. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Why am I doing this? I, he's like, I don't know why you're there. You should just come <laughs> home. <laughs> That's great. And I was so mad that he said that to me that I went and, um, I went and like the next day I rewrote my talk or I did a new talk. You have to write a talk every day. So I did my new talk and it was about exactly what you're talking about. It was about like um, putting your hands out towards others and starting and paying attention to what other people Mm. need rather than how you're being perceived. And it was like a talk to myself more than anything else. But I just think that's, it's so funny. Just another example of parallel, parallel thoughts. Parallel universes. (laughs) Really so much. So, so Sorry, I got us way off track there, but I love, I actually love hearing that because I think that it's so, it's so relatable. Um, and it's, I mean, it's relatable too, because it's, it, it's sometimes when you look at people who have been so successful, you think like clearly they've never made any mistakes or they don't struggle or oh. things don't go wrong for them. Like they're, you know, lucky star or whatever it is like the golden touch. Um, but we all make mistakes. We all have these we huge do lessons in our lives. So I'd love to hear um, just some examples of some mistakes or lessons that you've had in your life um, and what they taught you. Yeah. Well, the biggest one, first of all, I've made a ton and this has really served me well as a, as a blogger and a podcaster, right? So I've got so much stuff that I can write from so many mistakes, you know, I can turn into lessons, but I'll tell you one of the biggest ones was, um, when I started my publishing company, my own publishing company back in 1986, and we experienced really successful growth really fast. And one of the biggest lessons I learned was that not all business growth is healthy growth. Mm. So we outstripped our capital and we basically went broke. So in 1992, five years after we started, we went broke. And it wasn't because our sales weren't increasing. It wasn't because uh, there was not a, mark, uh, not a market for our products. The market was responding enthusiastically. But our working capital got all tied up in assets that were in liquid, things like inventory and accounts receivable and author advances and all that. We were so broke, Ruth, that um, we couldn't even go bankrupt, not officially, because there oh, were wow. all of our assets were pledged to the bank. And so oh when it was over, they just you know, sent an 18-wheeler 
came, picked up everything, and we were done. There was nothing to distribute to anybody else. So, you know, it, it hurt our vendors, it hurt us. But, but I think the thing I, I learned there is you got to be very careful about growth. And I see so many business owners get into trouble when they start to scale. Either they're going faster and out too far over their skis, or they're skiing the blue trails when they ought to be on the black trails, or the reverse of that. They're skiing the black trails when they ought to be on the blue ones. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, growth is a tricky thing. And mm. there's, a, there's a way to do it that it's a sustainable way. But man, that was a huge, huge lesson for me. So for example, one of the things I really pay attention to all the time now, even in my current business, and one of the things we teach our clients to do is, is to pay attention to their, uh, their forecasted cash flow and make sure that they see problems in the business before they happen, where they've got as much time as they can react to them uh, as possible. That's smart. So how devastating was that? I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine like, how did you, how did you react to that? What happened afterwards? I'm fascinated by this idea of like, just completely not even being able to file for bankruptcy. I mean, where did you go from there? Yeah. So what happened was we got a call from the, the publishing company didn't ever live up to, excuse me, the distribution company that we had hired didn't live up to what they said they could do for us. And it was our fault. Frankly, we didn't do our, our due diligence, but they started loaning us money in order to get us past our cash flow crunch. And so by the time in December of 1991, uh, they called and they said, hey, you guys are into us a million too. That's how much you owe us. And we're calling the note. So you guys either come up with a million two in 30 days or we're shutting down your business. And so, Oh my gosh, you know, we went to our board, we said, hey, could you guys help us with this? And they were like, no, we're, we're in deep and we're done. And so I can still remember the day in January of 1992 when an 18-wheeler pulled up. Some people got, came into the office. I had to go tell all of our employees that, um, you know, it was over. And not only that, but we couldn't even pay them a severance. And these were people that we loved. They were like family to us. Everybody was crying. You know, the movers are coming in, they're packing up everything. I mean, literally every single thing. I had a business partner. He and I were sitting in what used to be his office, but now it's stripped of furniture. All the employees have left. It's just the two of us. And we're crying in his office, just going, how in the heck did this happen? And so we decided that we weren't going to run from our creditors, that we were going to, you know, stay in contact with them to the best of our ability to repay them. And so we stayed in touch with them, which they really appreciated. So then from there, we said, well, what's the lowest barrier entry thing that we can do? Because, and I should have said this, I had, I had people from my church bringing us groceries to my family. Oh my gosh. So it was humiliating for me. It was humiliating for my family. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I, I remember like we had like $6 in our checking account. <sighs> and so thinking, okay, how do we, you know, I, I don't even have enough time to go get a job. You know, what am I going to do? So my partner and I agreed that we were going to start a literary agency because that, that would, didn't require any inventory, didn't require any capital. We could just start, you know, working immediately. And so he said, okay, great. I will answer calls from creditors and wind down this business. You go start the literary agency. And that ended up being pretty successful. And so we ended up uh, signing a bunch of authors, creating some deals and generating cash flow almost immediately. But That's I thought I was going to die. Wow. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine the, like the humiliation that you must have felt. So, but the fact is that you like had to pivot 
quickly, but figured out something like where I think that that's like, I love the lesson in there too, of, of like assessing and going, what do we have? What do we have to work with right now? Which is not much. The only thing we have are our connections and our knowledge of the literary of the literary world. So that's what we're going to use. And that's what you did. And, and you made it work, but man, I mean, how did you go home and, and face your wife at that point? Well, I, I, I'm really, have really married well. And my <laughs> wife, Gail and I, we've been, as I said earlier, for uh, almost 41 years. And her top strength on strength finders is positivity. Ah. Uh, so if you, you know, you've, you've heard this before, I'm sure. But if you, you know, if, if you take her to a room full of manure, first thing she'll say is there's a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> and so she just always asks great questions. She always sees the possibility. She's enormously resilient. And honestly, I think for an, for an entrepreneur or any leader, resiliency is probably one of the most underappreciated and most important qualities that you can develop because life happens, business happens. When I was um, running Thomas Nelson Publishers, you know, I, I became a CEO in 2005. By the time we got to the backside of 2008, we knew that there was a slowdown happening in the marketplace. And our business in 2009, the entire industry, the entire publishing industry, and, and it was true of our business too, our sales fell 20% in one year. We had to wow. lay off 120 of our 650 employees in one year. Mm. And so you can either get frozen and not take action, or you can be resilient. And as you said, I love this word, pivot, and figure out how to make it work. And I, you know, I, I, I tend to believe that things happen for us, not to us. And so all this stuff is designed to make us better, designed so to make true. us stronger, uh, designed to help us fulfill our destiny. That's so, so true. Do you find that when you think, when you think back and when you look at this kind of stuff in your life, you feel like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Or do you feel very much like this is the path that I'm supposed to be on? Yeah, I definitely think it's the path. Um, Gail says it this way, my, my wife, she says, nothing's wasted. Mm, so true. And I think it's true. You know, it's like everything gets recycled into something better. Every bad experience, every setback, every challenge. If we embrace it and see it sort of like when we're going to the gym and the trainers coming up with these, what feel like at the time, torturous exercises, <laughs> you know, that he or she, they're not, a, their objective is to make us stronger not, not make us weaker. So, I mean, my worldview is just such that I, I just believe I've been guided and directed. That's amazing. So let's take a quick detour and talk about strengths finders. Cause I am obsessed with strengths finders. Yeah. I make my whole team take strengths finders. I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. What are your five strengths? Okay. So I actually have a mug with all I five. Have the mug too. I you got have it mug? My, whole, my whole team for Christmas. Yeah. Everybody has the mug. We, yes. do the, we do the same thing as part of our onboarding process, all new employees. So here are my top ones, and I'll bet you you and I share some. Um, Achiever is number one. Mm. Intellection is number two. Okay. Strategic. Mm-hmm. Futuristic. Yep. Relator. Yes. I have the, those three, the, the last three. My top two are focus and competition, and then Ooh. the other three are the same. But, That's and then awesome. Strategic is number six for me. Do you ever have strengths envy? Strengths envy? Yeah. Um, I, 
No, I don't. I mean, I, like, honestly, I don't. I feel like my, like my strengths are right where I'm supposed to be. And what's funny, I don't know. Have you and Gail done um, the strengths-based marriage stuff at all? Uh, um, no. Oh, my gosh. Very, I, I should do that. I didn't even know there was such a thing. There's a book that's strengths-based marriage. And so my husband and I did it and it's, and we did our full strengths profile and we found that my top 10 is his bottom 10 and vice versa. I think the only one we share in our top 10 is strategic. And we're we're the same way. It was incredible to figure out. I mean, I'm sure you like just by doing the test, you can kind of figure out some of this stuff. But when we really started to realize how much of a difference, like the things that we fight about are always his top one is adaptability. And that is my number 34. My worst, my worst one is adaptability. And that is what we fight for about because I want to have a plan and he never wants to have a plan. We're the same exact way. <laughs> so Gail's so number two strength is adaptability. Oh. My, it's my 34. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that is really funny. I you bet know, Gail and Chuck would get along really well. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> Gail and I are actually teaching a marriage class at my church right now. Oh, that's and, amazing. And so what we say is that as you discover differences, first of all, it's what, it, it's what attracts you. That's number one. It's what attracts you to the other person. They're so different. You complete me. Then that quickly moves from attraction to annoyance. Yes. And then it's, you know, that depletes me. It doesn't, it doesn't complete me anymore. It depletes me. But then if you can hang in there and work at it, you can move to appreciation. Yes. Yes. And that's where you really get back to sort of that other person really does complete me. I, oh, I can't imagine trying to go through life without the strengths that she brings to our marriage. I agree. I agree. It's funny. I say, I call Chuck the sharpener of my sword. He's the one who will like call me out on everything. I mean, nobody will call me out like he will, but he also gives me that balance that I would not, if I had enough, if I had somebody in my life who was just like me, I think we would probably kill oh, each other. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So what are you working on right now that has you super fired up? Well, I'm super fired. And by the time this airs, it will already be public. So you're going to hear it for the first time before the public airing. But we have gone through a major, major um, refocus of our business. So one of the things that we realized is that over the years, we've gotten into a lot of stuff. You know, I have a signature program, Your Best Year Ever, and Free to Focus, and we've got Platform University, and we've got our Business Accelerator Coaching Program, and the list goes on and on and on. Well, we had a consultant that came in uh, back in December and said, as, as he saw all this put on the, on the board, I mean, he was just like shaking his head, and he said, okay, explain to me the customer journey. And we're like, we don't know. They say, well, like, so where does the customer start and where do they move from where they are and what's the next step? And we're like, we don't know. (laughs) So literally in a morning, we completely figured that out. Wow. And so, um, so we've really rebranded everything. We're, well, first of all, we're sunsetting your best year ever. We're sunsetting free to focus. Really? Yeah. And so- uh, Platform University is now spun out to its own LLC, so it, it will continue to live and grow, and that's like one asset in my portfolio, but it's not part of my, not really part of Michael Hyatt and Company. So now we're rebranding everything under this trademark, the Focused Leader. So 
Everything is going to be, so the best parts of Free to Focus, the course and the live event, and the best part of your best year ever, both the course and the live event, will be put into a one-day seminar uh, or workshop called The Focus Leader and also an online uh, course called The Focus Leader. So now we have a very logical progression, a very clear customer journey from sort of first contact all the way up through our most advanced and expensive programs, which is our coaching programs. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you put that all together in one day. We we put it together (laughs) in one morning. Now, obviously, you know. (laughs) There were a few details that needed. There were a few details. (laughs) Like, for example, this this is kind of a funny thing that happened. So we're all excited about the focus leader. We said, that's it. You know, we have a full focus planner. We've got free to focus. Focus is what we do. And, And people have said to me, you know, you're, you're, you're extraordinarily focused. I don't have the strength, but I do think I have the practice. I've learned to be focused over the years. Problem was, you know, you know, this moment, you have a business idea. So you go to GoDaddy. Okay. Let's see if the URL is taken. Dang, somebody's already got it. Yes. Okay. So we look it up. So number, number two is that we go to the U S patent and trademark office database. Now we're going to look and see if there's a trademark on it. Dang. Same guy that has the URL has the trademark. So, you know, it's like back to the drawing board. So we thought about, you know, the full focus leader, you know, playing off our plan, but we just like the simplicity and the elegance of the focus leader. So I said to the team, I said, you know, looking at his website, I don't think this is an active brand. And so I said, this is a total long shot. It probably won't work, but let's contact him and see if he would be willing to sell us the trademark and sell us the URL. Yes. And Did you long story short- did you do it secretly, like have somebody on your behalf? Yes. yes. So I had our attorney. Very important. Yeah. I said, I don't, <laughs> I don't want you to reveal who I am. Right. Yet. And um, so, yeah, we negotiated a price and it was well within the scope of what we were willing to pay and we own it. That's amazing. It's awesome when that works out, isn't it? it I know. And it doesn't, it, it's worked out for me a couple different times. But usually people don't think about that. But, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of things that get trademarked, a lot of URLs that get grabbed that people just park them. I mean, I probably have 300 URLs that I'm sitting on that I don't. So true. You know, they just, they pop but into my head and so I buy Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, I feel like every, every online entrepreneur <laughs> does that. Like we all have uh, our GoDaddy accounts full of URLs. <laughs> I know I collect, I collect URLs and, and then con- they are always coming up for renewal. I'm like, well, I'll just pay one more year, one more year. But yeah, we actually did that with Do It Scared um, and, and had to, had to go out and, and get that one. Yeah, that's cool. But, yeah, it was, uh, but I totally understand that, but that's exciting, Michael. That's like, it's actually really, really amazing to hear you. So who would you say is your, um, is your ideal person? Like who's your avatar? Yeah. Okay. So we've given a lot of thought about this. Mm-hmm. They are overwhelmed, successful leaders. Now there's two ways to be overwhelmed. I love that. If you're unsuccessful, you're going to be overwhelmed, right? And we don't deal with those people. We only deal with people that are successful, but they're overwhelmed because of their success. Mm-hmm. And so that's really our, our avatar. You know, we, we also would say people that are high achievers or consider themselves high achievers, they've got big dreams, big aspirations, big goals, but they're, you know, they're, they're struggling to get where they want to go to. And so what we're trying to do is to break down, you know, those challenges, those obstacles and help them get from point A to point B faster. That's amazing. So you've really honed in on like a specific subset of, of this bigger audience that you've always had. 
is yes. this is th- these are our people. It it really is, and and you know just to add another layer uh, or dimension to this, you know kind of the promise transformation, the thing that we're really selling is not the courses, not the books, or any of that, but what we're really selling is a lifestyle, which is win at work and succeed at life. So we want people that. that are after that double win, you know, people that just sort of intuitively gravitate to that, but just can't figure out how to make it work. And that's the thing I'm the most proud of. Like one of the things that, that's happened with our business accelerator coaching clients is on average in their first year in the program, their revenue goes up by 67%. Some wow. less, some more, but on average. But even, even more important, I think, is that on average, they get back 11 hours a week to uh, put into their offstage time or backstage time, but it's, it's time not working. And I love well, that. That's exciting for me because I just signed up for Business Accelerator. No, I'm excited for you. I uh, am very excited to get my revenue up 67% and um, <laughs> get 11 hours a week. So I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. Going to take two of us. <laughs> Good. Um, so we should probably wrap up here, for, but uh, a couple quick, quick questions. First of all, self-care. How do you practice self-care in your life and business? I mean, you're, you're all about winning at work and at home. So what, do you, what are some specific things that you do to practice self-care? Um, this is so important to me. In fact, I, I spoke at LeaderCast. Um, are you familiar with that conference? Mm, no. It's, um, it's out of Atlanta, but it's like there were 3,000 people in the room and another 80,000 watching by simulcast or satellite. Oh, wow. So it's a big audience. But I spoke on self-care as a leadership discipline. Huh. Because I, I feel like if you're going to be your most effective you, if you're going to be the best version of you, then just like a fine musical instrument, you got to take care of the instrument. So for me, here's what that looks like. That, that means, and, and, and I got to calibrate this. I'm at a different season of life than some of the people listening to this podcast are. Mm-hmm. Right? So there were times when we had, uh, I have five daughters and we had five, you know, little girls underfoot. And I was lucky if I could get a morning ritual in that, you know, was 20 minutes. Now it's a couple hours. So for me, what it looks like is I get up first thing in the morning and I attend to spiritual things. So I pray, read the Bible, read something in a book or get something, some kind of input. Then I head to the gym. So I'm taking care of myself spiritually, intellectually, also physically. And then I'm also making sure that my evenings are free. I talked about my, um, my trigger at night to get me out of the office. by Which I love. I'm going to start doing. It's cool. And you can do it so cheap. You know, the automation technology is so cheap. But uh, so, you know, spending time with my family at night is a way of self-care. I never really had friends through most of my career. I thought the people at work were my friends, and they were at some level, but they weren't friends that were peers. And they weren't people that, that, that I, I wanted people that weren't impressed with what I'd accomplished. People that could hold me to account, cheer me on when I was discouraged, but people with whom I could share my life. So my evenings and my weekends are spent either with family or with my friends. And all of that is important for me to rejuvenate in fact, I've got an entire chapter in Free to Focus that's about rejuvenation and why it's mm-hmm. so important and the science behind it. I love it. I love it. So how do you, what do you do then, and this might be along the same lines of self-care, but what do you do to protect your confidence specifically? Yeah, one of the things, and uh, you and I have both been part of Dan Sullivan's programs in the past. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest lessons I've learned 
from Dan is focus on the gain, not the gap. So I love that. here's what it looks like for people that have never heard this before. So let's say you come up to the end of a product launch or you come up to the end of your fiscal year and let's say that you fell short of your goal. Like let's say, you know, you hit 87% of your profit goal, but you were still ahead by 15% over last year. You got a choice. You can focus on where you fell short, the gap, or you can focus on the gain. Now, the truth is, I think to have integrity with your team, you have to acknowledge the gap, right? You know, because you don't want to look like, um, you know, Pollyanna glossing over, you know, what happened that, that wasn't so great, but that's not where you want to camp. If you do that, it will destroy your confidence and it will dispirit your team. Mm-hmm. So you got to focus on the gains. And so we do this as a discipline, as a team. So every single time we do a launch, every single time, you know, we, we end a quarter or end a month or any natural financial, you know, uh, milestone, we will acknowledge whether we were short or whether we were above. And then we will focus on what was the gain. And even if it wasn't a financial gain, there were things that we learned, things yeah. that, we, that, that can improve us for the next time that we do this. I love that. That's a big concept for me. So how soon after, afterwards do you do that? Like the next day? Do you do it the next week? How, is there a timeline on that? Yeah, almost immediately. So we have a whole process. You'll learn about this in Business Accelerator called the After Action Review. So literally after any major event, like we just brought our team back from our annual team retreat. So we took all of our team, all their spouses. It was about 70 people. We took them to a luxury resort in East Tennessee. And you would think, I mean, it was unbelievable. Food was phenomenal. Accommodations, great. But we came back and as soon as I got back and got back to work, first thing I did was an after action review on that event because, you know, I want to for sure acknowledge the things that I want to keep next time we do it, but also want to notice the things that we can improve, the things I want to start doing and the things I want to stop doing. So we use that kind of model for evaluating everything. I love that. I love that. Okay. Final question. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received and why? The best piece of advice I ever received was to keep your word because there's nothing more important than trust. And when you lose it, it's doubly hard to regain. So I had a boss when I started in the publishing industry right after college who said that he was going to give me a raise after 90 days and I had no training in marketing. So he said, look, just, you know, I I think this is going to work, but just to be fair, um, I want to give you 90 days. And if you're successful, then then I'll give you a big raise. So at the end of 90 days, he calls me into his office. He says, uh, you've killed it. You know, you've exceeded my expectations. Well done. Unfortunately, our company is in the middle of a salary freeze and I cannot give you the raise. I promised you my hands are tied. And he was very empathetic. He was very sorry. I could tell that it broke his heart. So I went home and I told Gail and being the resilient person she is, she said, well, you know, okay, I just, we just have to trust that, you know, if we work hard, it's all going to be rewarded eventually. Next day, he calls me into his office and he says, you know, I couldn't sleep last night. And he had an envelope in his hand. He said, sit down. He said, you can't say no to this. He said, my wife and I discussed this at dinner last night. And the truth is I gave you my word, not the company. And so here's the $3,000 I promised you. And it's out of my personal account, but you can't say no. Wow. That is integrity because he made his actions line up with his words. And that has become um, a huge corporate value for us and a personal value for me. Wow. That's amazing. Drop the mic right there. That is, that's an incredible story. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So, (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for being here. Is there any last final words? I don't know how you could actually top that, but any final things you want us to know and then let us know where we can find you online. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say, and especially in light of your theme, lean into your fear. Tony Robbins has this thing that he says that, you know, if you're afraid of it, then you must do it. Because the alternative is you're controlled by your fears. And the only way that you can actually break free and experience freedom is you've got to lead into your fears. And, you know, I'm sure you can validate this from your own experience, but every fear is bigger than it really is. I mean, it appears bigger than it really is. And you lean into it and you do that thing scared and then you go, you know what? Why was I so afraid of that? I mean, for years that controlled my life. I had my daughter, Megan. She was afraid of public speaking. She gave a speech at our Achieve conference last year. And this had controlled her life for almost 20 years. She gave a speech, killed it. I mean, crushed it. And now she's like, I am so glad that I've been liberated from that, that fear. I had no idea how much that was controlling my life. So true. So true. It's like, I always say courage is like a muscle. And yes. the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And that's, you Perfect. just have to keep taking that, keep taking that step. So where can we find you online? Um, MichaelHyatt.com. And if people are interested in finding out more about the book, Free to Focus, they can find that at freetofocusbook.com. Amazing. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you, Ruth. Great to be with you. Great to have you. Okay, so don't forget that if you would like to grab our Do It Scared Manifesto or get all the show notes for this episode, along with all the links to everything that we just talked about, you can find it all at doitscared.com slash episode 50. Once again, get all the show notes and links on our website at doitscared.com slash episode 50. And then before we go, I just want to say, as always, I love hearing from you. So if you have any questions about what we talked about today or any other topics that you would like to see addressed on the Do It Scared podcast, any other guests you would like to see interviewed, please feel free to reach out either via email or just by messaging me on Instagram. And that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared with Ruth Suka podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or better yet, share this episode in your Insta story and tag me to let me know. If I repost your story, we will send you a Do It Scared t-shirt just for fun. Also, be sure to subscribe either on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you like to listen to be notified of new episodes. And speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week for a very special episode as we chat about a topic that I know so many people struggle with, including me, and that is confidence and feeling confident even when you are unsure. And I'm going to share a few surefire strategies for boosting your confidence, including some things that might just surprise you, but you'll have to come back to find out what they are. So I will catch you then.